On today's show, our guest is Kate Williams. I'm super excited to have Kate on the show. She embodies the go-all-in philosophy as well as I've seen anyone do it. And I know that you're going to love her energy and her zest for life. As you will hear, Kate has led a life that, well, it might be considered maybe a little bit repressed. And it wasn't until much later on in her life that she realized that she could actually go all in on anything that she wanted. It's proof that you're never too old. It's never too late. And really, there are no excuses other than the ones that you give to yourself. Her story will get you thinking and it will also slap you into action. Don't let life pass you by. Go all in, commit, enjoy, and live every day to its absolute fullest. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Kate Williams. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Kate. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's so exciting. You've no idea. Excellent. Well, I'd like to start off all of my shows with a little get to know you quiz. It helps warm us up a little bit, calms the nerves down, and it gets us get to know you a little bit in a rapid fire way. I'm going to ask you a, a series of quick questions in no particular order. You ready? Shoot. All right. Just the first thing that comes to mind, which one do you prefer in your life? Do you prefer coaching people or do you prefer mentoring people? Probably mentoring at this stage. I mean, mentoring is more like a sharing. Coaching, I feel at this stage of my life that I might have to achieve something. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, nice one. Do you prefer working with individuals or working with businesses? I've never worked with businesses, but I would love to work with groups. Excellent. And what about, do you prefer public speaking or writing? I love public speaking. I feel like I can reach a lot of people, but I write everything down all my ideas get written down and may one day turn into something. But at the moment, I just love to talk. Yeah, excellent. I love the thrill of speaking in front of a crowd, and I like the solitude of writing as well. Yeah, kind of a nice. It's a bit of a dichotomy. I like both of them. I like the real one like that. Yeah. Would you prefer to be at your computer working away or out networking, meeting new people? Oh, not at my computer. That's my big problem. Is (laughs) I'm an outdoor girl, so and even like I've been very solo all my life. I haven't fitted in that well, so even groups is a challenge for me. So just put me out in nature. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. All right. Here's a random one for you. Can you sing? Yes. Do you play an instrument? No, but I'm going to learn the piano before I die. Oh, a nice one. Well, that's like the hardest instrument you can learn, right? But uh, the, you know how sometimes your first experience of something is what goes into your heart. And my, the girl next door used to play the piano and I'd go and sit and listen and watch how her fingers made this incredible sound. And I learned the guitar when I was a school teacher because, you know, you have to sing the wheels on the bus and stuff. <laughs> the little kids, nice one. All right, last one. It's a very serious question. Would you say that you're old school or new age? Uh, old school for sure. <laughs> new age, new age like, spin on it maybe? Well, I have to learn the new age stuff. Otherwise, I can't progress. <laughs> well, nice one, Kate. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that with us. Will people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in? So if you could, Kate, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Well, I guess my biggest first All In was 
in my family, it wasn't sort of a pleasant situation for me, but my mum was good at sport and loved sport and the outdoors and animals. So I got to play sport and I became the New Zealand under 18 doubles badminton champ. So I felt what it was like to put in the effort and to win. And I never lost that side of myself, but the part about who I was, who I am as a person was annihilated. So I've spent sort of my whole life being a nobody. And then when I was 57, I'm 63 now, when I was 57, I overheard someone, a guy saying he'd just pushed bike the length of New Zealand and he started off unfit. And when he arrived, he was fit. Now, New Zealand's a small country, but it's a huge bike ride. Mm -hmm. And a friend once said to me, if you ironed it out, it would be really big because it's so hilly. It's hilly, yeah, yeah. So I did it. I I rang a friend in New Zealand because I'm from New Zealand. And we started down at Stewart Island. And when we got to Napier, she pulled out. And because my brother was a coach for the New Zealand Olympic team, and he coached me on how to make it a success. And so the strategies that he gave me meant that when she pulled out, I rode the last thousand kilometers by myself. And the lesson I got out of that was that the best fun ever happens when you're outside your comfort zone. It was surreal, the things that happened. And that really started my journey from then on. And then I just went back to sleep again and fitted into trying to make what I had be the best that it could be. And my relationship was getting worse and worse and worse and worse until one day it was just, it was all over. And that was two and a half years ago. And that was when my, really my biggest all in happened. I had a choice to just crash and be the victim of a broken marriage at 61 or do something about it. So I ended up traveling the world. Well, I'm still traveling for two and a half years. I'd never traveled because I was too scared. And then I also realized that the money that I had from the marriage settlement wasn't going to last forever. And I had to find some form of income. Well, at 61, you're not hugely employable. And I was never the person to fit into a job. I only worked eight years full-time in my life because I was a mum and housewife. But my whole life was geared towards being that. What I wanted to do with my life wasn't allowed. I had to be a school teacher so I could have holidays with my children. So all of a sudden now I'm faced with like this nobody feeling and I've got to become somebody. So I just spent a lot of money educating myself and training myself as a coach and a speaker. Ended up at the end of 2017 on stage in LA with the JT Fox mega success in front of 2000 people discovered I wasn't scared. I loved it. I loved the exposure. People came up to me afterwards and said how amazing I was. And it was like, there was my validation. And it was like, well, what do I do with this newfound me? And I love adventures. So I've done a webinar and then I'm creating eight modules to go with that to help women specifically like over 50 mums and grandmas who have given their whole life to nurturing other people to now find the wild part of themselves. So I'm having to do that myself. And I tell you what, I've done screen flow, handbrake, AWS, you know, these things that are just a head trip for me, so unnatural, but I'm not going to give up because what's trapped inside me has been as trapped inside of a lot of other women my age. You started with a sports story there as national champ and then you kind of brushed over about 50 years and you just brushed all the way over that <laughs> but you talked about i want to talk about that bike ride riding did you go north uh, to south or south to north no south to north yep. I started at invercargill yep. which is the bluff is the very bottom town invercargill is the next city that's a 33 kilometer ride down to the bluff and it was pouring with rain it was windy and it's a main thoroughfare for all the big trucks going to and from the port 
Mm-hmm. So Jen got swept off the road. That was pretty freaky. And then we carried on down. We didn't even know how we were going to get to Stewart Island. I just knew we were. Mm-hmm. And we arrived and the ferry was there. And I thought we were just going to catch a fishing boat. We'd only had a, like six weeks to prepare all this mm-hmm. from the time I thought of it. And so we just asked if we could get free passage and they ran down and came back and said, sure, hop on. So we got free passage there and back. We stayed at the, just in a little backpacker thing, went to the pub. Jen's a pub girl. I'm a sports girl. So between the two of us, we won 12 games in a row. We had some people coming back three times to try and beat us. And we were just on fire, you know, like, (laughs) oh, we were both just feeling invincible. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, I I can also attest to uh, long bike rides. And sometimes it feels like you bite off more than you can chew, but the experience is incredible. I can remember a very long time ago, I rode my push bike from Brisbane to Sydney. And shortly after that, I rode from Melbourne to Adelaide as well. And it was while I was in the Navy. And it was an incredible experience. And same sort of thing. We didn't have a lot of time to prepare. We kind of had a bit of time in between trips and the ship was in Brisbane and it was going to be in back in Sydney, then quickly to Melbourne, then on to Adelaide. That was our trip. And it was the end of the year. It's kind of a bit of a flag waving tour. And we asked our boss, hey, you know, you reckon we could ride our pushies down there? And he goes, no. And we said, back, we, went, we went away and we said, hey, boss, you reckon we can ride our pushies down back to Sydney and meet you back in Sydney if we go and raise some money for charity? And he said, will you wear your uniform? And I said, well, yeah, I suppose, of course. And you know, when it came to it, we ended up in these country towns in the backwaters of Queensland and New South Wales that I'd never heard of before. I'd seen these places on a map before, but the places we were at, I'd never been to or seen anything like that. And here was a bunch of us. We must have been, I don't know, a dozen of us in our white Navy uniforms oh. summertime. <laughs> and here's all these sailors in town. Imagine this, right? These young sailors, we're all really super fit riding our bikes. And these people in the town are like, what the hell? What, what's going on here? You guys are not in the Navy. What do you, Navy guys don't come out here. And anyway, we, you know, we went to civic dinners. We were met by mayors. We were met by all of these people. We raised a huge amount of money for charity in the process as well. Oh. It was so successful. A couple of months later, the boss let us do it again on the way from Melbourne to Adelaide. But my gosh, it was freaking hard. Tell me about riding your bike like day in, day out against the weather, the wind. That's, oh. that's an all-in proposition by itself, right? You were really all-in on that commitment. Look, you know, I absolutely loved it. Not one part of that did I... Like, oh. Going down a hill in the rain, <laughs> I've got glasses. They're all clouded up and then foggy because I'm hot and it's cold. It's cold, yeah. I'm doing like 65 kilometres an hour downhill, freaking out because you can't really slow down. I don't want to break. It was exhilarating. And I realized just what a dull life I'd been living. And until you go and do something exhilarating, you don't realize. Did you have a sore and, butt and, from riding day in and day out? Yeah, I did. But I, I think the longest, road, longest ride day we did was 92 Ks. So, and there were other, like this one time, I was just exhausted. I just, I said to Jen, I can't go on anymore. And just up ahead of me, I saw this little, like a little cottagey house. And I said, I'm going in there. So we turned in and she came and she said, do you know these people? And I said, no. Nah. And I just went and knocked on the door. All these little dogs came hurtling out the dog door. And this woman came to the door and, and I said, look, we're push biking from the bottom to the top of New Zealand and I'm exhausted. And I was wondering if we can have a bed for the night. And she said, of course you can. Come on in. Would you like a cup of tea? And then now we're best friends, you know. We Fantastic. stayed there too. Oh, it was just like just one after another. It's just indescribable. And the thing is that you just don't know those experiences are there mm-hmm. until you go and do something 
that opens that door. So take yeah, me back then, you know, that's an incredible story and, and that is a real go all in story, but I'm interested in knowing why it took you so long to get to that point in your life. Fill in that blank for me. There's a 50 year gap there, but if, can you kind of fast forward over it and give us the top line version of what took you so long? Well, I'm the youngest of six, right? And a religious family. And we had to look like we were a, a good, happy religious family. My mother was soul destroying, just constantly judgmental and putting it down. And then I shared a room with a sister who was worse. And I actually don't have any memories of being in that room with her. I just know we shared a room for 10 years. So my job, well, I suppose it was a job. I had to fit in and not get in trouble and to stay safe. So I realized I listened to Steve Wozniak when I was in LA and he talked about giving the youngest in their family the responsibility of deciding where they're going to go for Christmas or where they're going to go for dinner. Mm-hmm. And that just like hit my heart because I never made a decision. I never had. The only responsibility I had was to keep the chooks out of the garden. And I love that job, but nobody ever asked my opinion. Nobody laughed at my jokes. I was like a nobody in my family. So to get away from home, I married the first guy who really was interested in me and got married at 20. And I knew it was a disaster, but it was more, it was better than my marriage, my home life with my mother. And I was just so shut down that I didn't know I could plan my life. So life just happened to me. And I went from one, it was almost like one disaster after another. The whole time I knew I was depressed and miserable, but who wants to spend your whole life like that? So I'm actually basically a happy person, Mm. very positive, uplifting, happy person. And I would burst out of that depression to go and do something and then I'd slump back down. And then, of course, I started having children and then they became the focus of my life. We had a little farm, 16-acre farm, and I love animals. So we had pigs and goats and chooks and ducks and dog Mm. and cat. And so that kept me occupied. But really, I was just dull. And I did some other cool things like I went to Arizona on a vision quest and that was pretty amazing. But again, they were just like peaks of excitement in a world of very, you know, worse than mediocrity. And I smoked a lot of dope for 18 years from when I was 18 to 36, because that was the only way I could lift myself out to feel not so bad. Mm-hmm. And then I made a decision. I was just going to stop and go and find true happiness. And that's when I went on that vision quest and met my second husband. And I thought he was like me wanting to explore spirituality and who we really are. But it turns out that I won't go into that story, but that wasn't the case. So 23 years later, we're, our marriage is crashing. And I, again, I was, I'm that person who would support my husband. So I wanted him to do things. We spent lots of money on business stuff, but he never wanted to do it. And I never wanted to do it. I wanted, I always wanted someone else to do it. You know, I was always looked after and told what to do. And so I didn't know that part of myself until I heard this person say that they had pushed bike the length of New Zealand. And another thing I did that was pretty trippy was just before that, I got offered a teaching job up in Lockhart River. Mm-hmm. You know where that is? Yeah, in Queensland, opposite, right? Opposite Weeper. Yep. On yep. The, and it's like total Aboriginal community. And I'm from New Zealand, so I hadn't even talked to an Aboriginal, but I lived with the Maori people. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love native cultures. And so off I went, left my husband at home and my daughter came with me and we had five and a half months in this crazy, crazy time. So again, that was a little foray out into me being on my own. So when our marriage was getting really bad and I said to my husband, it's like, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to do something. I've got to find out who I am, do whatever it takes to be the best that I can be. And if you want to do the same, let's start again. 
And yeah. so we did. And we got remarried, engagement ring, the whole thing. And um, booked a, almost like a round-the-world trip for four months. And he was going to sell the clinic. We'd sold the house. And then I went over to Canada where my granddaughter lives and it was her first birthday. And he rang me up and told me while I was over there that it was all over. <laughs> right. It's like, right, okay. So I went on that honeymoon by myself. Right. I thought, I'm not going to just lie down. I'm going to follow what I'd said. I'm going to be the best that I can be. So it took me until I was 61 to know that there was another me that was, and I'd done a lot of personal growth stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but it was all from behind a husband. You know, it wasn't me out there doing it for myself. I was doing it for us or for him more, you know. So he rang you up and said, that's it, I'm done, it's over. How long was it when you realized that, hey, maybe this is not a bad thing and the decisions, even though you didn't make that decision, he made that decision for you, but it was okay and you started to find yourself a little bit. Were you six months past that? No, it was the moment he told me. It was very weird. Yeah, and because I, I was the one that actually ended the relationship. I was saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the best that I can be. And he wasn't able to do that. That's why he pulled out. He didn't he, want to come along. No. So mm-hmm. it was a bit like on my ride. I'd already made the decision. And mm-hmm. then when the drama happened, and it was only really afterward in the thinking about things, because I explained it to people. It was like having a whiteboard with all my dreams written on it for the future. And they'd been renewed because we just renewed our vows, just him and me. Mm-hmm. And then someone just came along and just scrubbed it out and completely it was gone. It was completely gone. And that panicked me. It was like, I didn't know how to fill that in by myself. I'd never been there by myself. It was the first time in my whole life I'd been by myself. So take me back to the ride there after you'd, you'd slept in a stranger's house. They'd been very hospitable for you. Tell me about the commitment of riding up some of those bloody hills in New Zealand. Yeah. There's some big things there and it is freaking hard work on a push bike. Tell me about your single-minded focus to keep going and not to give up there because you said your friend kind of quit a little bit into that trip and you were there on your own. Tell me about what you, your mindset around that. Well, because of, this is where my, my sporting background, because I loved sport. I was so good at it. I was good at any sport that I tried mm-hmm. and won lots and lots of awards and gotten lots of teams and stuff. So that ride for me, because I had trained when I was 54, I went to Max Fitness College and became a personal trainer. I got quite sick and I thought, what am I going to do? And my daughter who knew me said, mum, why don't you go and be a PT? Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's a good idea. That's an area I love. I'm comfortable. I love being fit. And my husband was totally against sport and fitness. And so I did nothing. Because of that, I did nothing for 17 years. Me, that's how much I gave away my life. Yeah. to the people that I lived with, blew me away when I realized. So I, my body just shut down and I got a kind of chronic fatigue thing. So I put myself into fitness college, got myself back. So that ride was about what can you do with a body that's fit? So those hills for me were just a training ground. And there was one called um, oh, Knights Hill, something Knights. Like, and I got up the first hill, man. I was just head down. And it's like, you know, when you eat something chilly hot, and it gets so hot, and then it doesn't blow your head off, even though you think it's going to. Well, that's what, for me, this was like. It's like, I know my muscles. I know that they are loving this, and they're not going to bust. They're not going to explode. So I just kept going to the top of that hill, and that feeling of elation was just incredible until I saw that there were two more. <laughs> and it was at that point, it was like, okay, I only need to do the first one. <laughs> so then I just pushed the bike, and it was actually quite a relief to get off the bike, use the muscles in a different way. 
Yeah, I would echo that completely. Riding, I think riding a push bike on an extended trip like that, where there's kind of, there's no out, like yeah. I'm committed to this ride. Like yeah. I, I yep. can't get in the bus and go, you know, I've got to ride if yeah. I want to, and I've got to be there by a certain time sort of thing. And yeah. I think riding up and down hills like that is like no other workout that you can get. Yeah. You feel like your heart's going to burst out of your yeah. chest. Your calf muscles are going to tear out of their skin and, you get to the crest of a hill, ride down and then go and do it all again. It's like, oh my gosh, that's like a really, really hard thing. And I watch these guys on these professional cyclists in Europe riding up and down these hills like it's nothing. I know. When you see those guys in real life, there's nothing of them. They're usually really small little fellows, you know, five foot five, and they weigh about 40 kilos sopping wet. No wonder they can ride so fast (laughs) up and down. But still, you know, irrespective of their size, it's a really big achievement to be able to produce that with your body like that. It's, yeah. And it's empowering as well, right? Oh, very empowering. And my, probably my best achievement on that whole, oh, actually, no, there were lots, but I got over the Haas Pass, which is the bottom of the Southern Alps. Mm-hmm. And there's a few passes, and the Haas Pass is the, the most gradual of them because it's the, the southern end. And I got over there without getting off my bike. It was just forever, just going up and up and up and up and up. And, was it cold and it, in that part? It must have been freezing. Well, we left on uh, leap year, February 29th, 2000. Oh, so still the tail end of summer. Yeah, but it was just wet. I mean, this is a wet area. Yeah. And then going down the other side, I was so wet. I, I said to Jenna, I've got to stop and just wring out my socks. I couldn't stand <laughs> it. It was full of water. And the beautiful thing was where I stopped, I looked around and it's like, oh my God, it was blackberry season. Yeah. And, you know, blackberries like this on the yeah. side of the road in a, in a rainforest. So I just sat there and I've got photos of purple fingers and purple around my mouth. But the funny thing was I leaned my bike over onto a, um electric fence. Oh. <laughs> that wasn't so good. There's all these things that the poignant things that come back. Oh, and I haven't talked yeah. about that for ages and I remember getting yeah. electric. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many, so many, so many things happened. I just, well, one day I'll write a book about it. Just amazing things. Staying, like we were caught into this pub, a little, you know, one of those little country pubs that's been there in New Zealand's like Australia, pretty mm-hmm. young. And we had these t-shirts, Jen had got these t-shirts written and we also got it on the front page of the Southland Times. So everybody knew wherever we went, cool. who was in Southland, knew who we were. Ah, oh, this is cool talking about it. We even, I was just thinking one day, it's like, God, I'd love to go and stay on a working um, farm. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, Jen pulls off into this driveway and this man comes striding out to meet us. And he said, I oh, know you girls, I saw you in the paper. And so we stayed in his little shearer's shed for the night. And then the next day, it was sale day and they were selling 5,000 sheep. Oh, wow. And so the dogs were working, the motorbikes and the quads were everywhere. All the, the cool. stock and station agents were in our little house and we're just sitting watching while they're all doing their thing. And it was like the very next day I got my wish. Yeah, fabulous experiences, right? Yeah. Really cool. Where did you finish up? Cape Rianga, very top. So right it took two months, 2,417 kilometers. Man, that's a long way. What happened when you finished? You got there? Was there a finish line? Did you give yourself a finish line or was it just cycling? Well, there's a car park up there that's where there's a huge big lighthouse and the car park and that's where in the Maori tradition that the spirits leave to go back to Hawaii and return home so it's a very spiritual area as well but what I didn't know was (laughs) that Kaitaia which is the beginning of that long you know pointy bit of New Zealand is at sea level and then by the time you get to the top you're like hundreds of feet above (laughs) and I've got a picture of this flag and it's just like that it's hardly even fluttering yeah, and I'm, go- so and I'm going into that. Yeah. And it's uphill all 
the way. So it took me about an hour and a half longer than I had predicted compared to everything else that I had done and had a bit of a battle with my husband to come over from Australia, but he did finally. And he had bought a huge big sign that the girls had made at the clinic and he had hired a car and he had this big congratulations. And so because there's so many people go up to that car park because of what it is, mm-hmm. when I got there, there was this huge crowd. Oh, wow. I'm thinking I'm just arriving to my husband, but there's all these people cheering and clapping and interviewing me. And I got flowers and champagne and chocolates. And, oh, it was just the proudest moment of my life, seriously. Was it a turning point for you when you finished? It was both. It was like proud. And then I went back to my old life and had no idea how to make what I'd just done be part of my new life. So the contrast was horrid, absolutely horrible. It was a bit of a letdown when you got back, huh? Yeah, because I didn't do anything to change it. I just, I was this person on my right yeah. and that person back with my husband and in my own life. You discovered yourself on a push bike in nature months, and yeah. doing all of those things and you really did go all in there. It's a, it's oh. a fabulous go all in story about self-discovery as well. The biggest and question I've, I've got in yeah. the lead up to this interview and I read your story and I did a bit of research on you and stuff like that and we had a couple of conversations. The biggest question that I've got is why do you think people put, limitations on themselves and i don't mean specifically you but why do you think people limit themselves to worrying and not putting themselves out there and having a go i totally know the answer to that one well i think i do have you read um the four agreements by don miguel ruiz no i haven't read that no amazing book amazing book he's a toltec indian and he talks about the domestication of humans and we have to fit into our parents family life so depending on where they're coming from, like you take someone like Richard Branson, whose mother made him ride 50 miles when he's 11 to go to his, see his auntie. Mm-hmm. You know, like she knew what he was capable of, I would say, when he was young. So she pushed him in that direction. Anything I wanted to do was just banned, basically. So I learned to be nobody. I learned to be small. It just was the way it was. I had a very um, difficult first year of my life because my brother just up from me was dying. So... Mm-hmm. I got left at home in my cot. It would be called child abuse now. Right. So it wouldn't have mattered how much I cried. Nobody would come. And my sister would come home from school when she's eight and a half, nine. And she had to change my nappy and feed me. And she said to me, I never knew what to do from your screaming, whether to change your nappy first or feed you first. So yeah. I learned very early in life that I was either a nobody or that nobody was going to come and help. Or So in this domestication, it's like, if you do good you get rewarded or in my case, just not punished. Or if you do bad, you get punished. So we are totally conditioned. And then by the time we leave home, we're self-judging. So, you know, I would say when I couldn't make something work, I'm what a loser. Mm. Nothing ever works out for me and God, life's hard. You know, you can hear it in the stories that you tell yourself why you aren't doing living the life. And that's why I'm so passionate now about what I'm doing is that I'm doing it. And I'm going to travel the world doing this because, but making it fun, you know, like I don't want it to get all heavy because we've had the shit life because our parents did the best we can. I've done things to my kids mm-hmm. that I would have never, ever written in my story of success to say, this is what I'm going to do because I left them. And when they were like, my first husband and I broke up when my kids were three, six and nine. And when I met my current husband, who was Australian, I left my boys in New Zealand when they were four and seven. And people sort of say, how could you do that? And my daughter said that to me and I said, well, you just have to understand where I was at at the time that I could do that. So mm-hmm. I can't make myself wrong, even though I have, because the pain of that is enormous. All I can do now is make the rest of my life the best it can possibly be. 
Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, I'm pretty committed to that. I find that younger folks these days uh, have a lot more education and there's a lot more choice to them. And I think parents these days are way more educated than they once were because of the internet and we've just got access to more stuff and we're exposed to more things. No, I think life like that is a lot easier for parents. There's more instruction manuals type thing to help us make decisions and do the right thing for our kids and that type of thing as well. But one thing that still holds very, very true is you tell your kids when they're little that they can be anything they want and do anything they want. But then when it comes time for them to actually go and be in the world and do something, suddenly parents go and tell them what they need to do. And they're no longer telling them what they, you know, you can be anything you want, but you've got to go get off your butt and go and get a job. You know, that doesn't really kind of make any sense. It's contradictory to what you've been telling them the whole time. And I know my children are at the last part of high school and my, particularly my oldest son, Cameron, he is in year 12 and I ask him what he wants to do. It's the most annoying thing in the world for him. And one day he just said to me, dad, stop, stop it. Stop asking me. I don't know what I want to do. Stop giving me a hard time about it. And I didn't realize because I was, I'm asking from a place of love and trying to help, you know, whatever you want to do, man, I'll, I'll try and facilitate that for you and help you. If you want to go to uni, I'll help you. If you want to get a an apprenticeship, I'll help you. If you want to travel, I'll help you. Whatever you want. <laughs> and, but he, he was really like, stop asking. I don't know. I'll work it out. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter what you do in the end. It only matters that you're happy, healthy, and strong. That's what matters. And you go and live the life that you want to live. And I'm not trying to live my life vicariously back through you. I don't care, man. Do whatever you want to do. I'll support you and I'll help you. And I, I don't think that he realized that I was coming from a place of love. I think he was thought I was coming from a place of what the hell are you doing and chest poking him and getting in his face and, you know, being the platoon sergeant to him, but really not at all. You know, I don't mean it like that. So I think we're very, very lucky in a, in a modern age now compared to what you experienced there and your experience of it is very, very different. Can you offer a comment on that? What would you say to a younger person? What would you say to a 17 year old about to leave school now? Go have fun. Yeah. Do whatever is fun for you. And I read um, half of Robert Kiyosaki's book, If You Want to Be Rich and Happy, Don't Go to School. And I knew that <laughs> because that school did not apply for me. If it wasn't for sports, I would have been a complete failure. The only reason I passed that university entrance exam the second time was because I won the New Zealand under 18 badminton champs. And I wasn't a naughty person. I just couldn't understand what the hell they wanted. And mm-hmm. I still think it's wrong the way they schools are. So go play because then play, you'll find you'll just steer in the direction that play takes you and out of that something will come. I think the, the lack of the less structure that they have, I think going straight, because I went straight from school to training college. I never had a break from school and then back to school and I failed at school. So how much fun do you think that was for me? Which well, just worked the whole time. Just, just And school, you know, like I wanted to go play and, and I taught five and six year olds. Can you believe it? Cause I, I seriously, I taught that age group because I didn't, want the kids to know more than me that's how dumb I thought I was yeah right but at least at age five and six I could play with them but then I had to deal with the headmasters who were just terrible Mm. like so unplayful you know so I only lasted five years I was like I can't do this anymore well now you've come out on the other side of all of that because I don't know that Kate the Kate that I know is really happy bubbly very energetic and I'm like man (laughs) this lady slow down will you go on what, what would you say now that you've come out the other side and there's been a lot of self-growth there, obviously, what would be the top three things that you would say have helped you and about commitment? Your success is defined by somebody's perception of success and the meaning that you give to that. And I can see that you feel and look really happy and successful now because that's the Kate that I know. And obviously that was very, very different for you for a long time. But what would you say the top three things are that helped you contribute to that? 
when I was about 15, I said to my mother, I'm not going to church anymore. I don't even know where the courage to say that came from because that was like huge sin. But I did because I couldn't stand the hypocrisy. And that part of me that wanted to find out the truth has never left me. And so I breastfed my kids for years and I found out about health and all things that were alternative and got rubbished for. So it's about holding on to a part of you that you remember is who you are. All the rest is crap. It's the learned stuff that was dumped on us. But in there, there is still who you are. And that's where I've hooked back into now. And I have a passion to help other people because I think women, we're, we're nurturers. You know, we care. We care about the community and the people around us. And we care what happens on a much bigger scale than just ourselves. So, you know, I just would love to just team up with a whole bunch of women and let's go play and see what happens. I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> What would you say about what are the top three things that got you there? Is it about following your heart, following your dreams? Is it all of those and determination, that same determination that I would be a good sports person because I would practice just all the time, a hockey stick and a hockey ball. And I'd just walk around the house, just bouncing it and getting up to hundred. And, you know, that was fun for me. So just do what's fun. Stick to the things that are fun. They'll, they'll pull you through the difficult things. Like I'm having to do all this back end stuff to get my webinars out there. I've got help, but it's the, the fun and the dream of traveling the world, being on stage with a, almost like a comedy show about what it's like to get old, you know, being a student of old age and sharing that and just that, taking the mickey out of us instead of, I've been so serious and so sad about my plight. People got sick of hearing my stories. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to tell those stories anymore. It's like, what stories have we got up ahead that we can tell that will be our legacy, you know? So that's a big thing for me too, is to make my grandkids proud. What, what, what really struck me when I first met you, Kate, was about the next 12 to 18 months seem really exciting for you. You're almost like that gray nomad, but the gray digital nomad. And you're traveling <laughs> the world and you're wanting to speak and you're getting into this digital thing and you're doing all that stuff. Tell me, what does the next 12 to 18 months look like for you? What, what are your hopes and dreams for it? Oh, that's funny you should ask because I was on a coaching call this morning and that's what we had to do. So it would be that thing to travel the world, get on stage, take the mickey out of getting old. And I, I, look, can I say this? One of the areas, you know, when you're, when you're young and you get horny, right? <laughs> and you just want to go all out. Mm-hmm. Well, where you are from my era, it was like no sex before marriage, no pill. I nearly got pregnant once because I, my period didn't arrive and I didn't know. And like <laughs> the stress of that. Then when I'm about 40, I find out that my sister had actually done that and she had to give her child away. Oh, gosh. So the stigma of that was just enormous. Yeah. So, you never get to really relax and explore sex fully. And I found out the other day that women in their 60s are reaching their peak. <laughs> so it was like, I'm in. <laughs> so that would be something else I want to expose because I know I've heard women my age talk and they're so shut down, like some of them have never even had an orgasm, you know. So I just think, what is there that we missed out on the kids these days? you know, they just explore everything. And we didn't, we had to be so proper. And I know women who are so bloody proper, they're bored and miserable. And who wants to be on your deathbed and then go like, oh my God, why didn't I do those things? What was I so afraid of? And there's a book out there called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I had four out of five of those. And what that was, was number one? Uh, I wish I'd lived the life true to myself and not the life others that had wanted for me, which is what most of us had. And then wish hadn't worked so hard. That was all the men, but that's going to be women now too, because we do that. And the next one was wish I'd been able to express my feelings more easily. And that's both the loving ones and standing up for yourself, which I could never do. Mm -hmm. And 
wished I'd stay in touch with my friends, which is easier now than back in then because once they were lost, they were gone. And the last one was I wished I'd given myself permission to be happier. The regrets are never the ones that you did. They're the things that you didn't do, didn't do or, yeah. or, or more. I don't regret falling off that motorbike. I wish that never happened, but God, <laughs> it happened. I don't regret it. You know, yeah. I actually wish I had another motorbike and, and was tearing around a racetrack instead of tearing around the street like a maniac. You know, that's kind yeah. of... Have you heard of the Nürburgring? Racetrack no, in Germany was the most became the most dangerous uh, racetrack. It's twenty three kilometers long. I've been on that with my son and his Subaru WRX. That was uh, fun. No, I haven't. I haven't heard oh, of that. I wasn't sure. That I was fun. Was so fun. A bit of a daredevil, you know. Oh, it was so intense. Oh. You're going like as fast as your car will go. People die. People died the day, the second day we went. The first day there was a huge crash and this car blew up. Gosh. And so they closed the circuit. And then so Hayden and I came back the next day and it was raining. Oh gosh. <laughs> Did you drive or was it your son drove? No, he was driving because he's a he was born a mechanic. He didn't have to wonder about none of us had to wonder what he was going to do. So oh, and then that afternoon two people died. So gosh. Really go at your own risk. Absolutely. Any vehicle can go on there and you just go on all at the same time. Talk about going all out, man. Gosh. Oh, intense. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So tell me, traveling the world, getting up on stage, putting that all together, that must be an all-in proposition by itself, right? Absolutely. Tell me about that. How does that feel to be doing that at this part of your life, at this point in your life? What's that feel like? Oh, very exciting because I don't care anymore about what people think of me. You know how you're brought up and especially my era was all about appearances. Oh, my goodness. Now I don't care. You know, to be able to talk about orgasms and sex and stuff, you know, on stage is like... Why would I care anymore? I haven't had a happy life, even though I've tried my hardest. I want mm. to have a truly happy life, a truly wild ending to my life, you know, like a for real one, not a mm-hmm. fake one. So and I do you don't feel know how like, it's going to happen. But do you feel like you're living that authentically now for yourself? Oh, shit, yes. <laughs> it's so yeah. much fun. And like we had this coaching call this morning that, and this guy from Sage University, he's about free thinking. And that's really what I've always wanted to be, a free thinker, not controlled by what the church says, what society, politics, my parents, my sister. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all got their own agenda and they're not happy. So why are they trying to tell me, stop me? Even just this last Christmas was a nightmare. What would you say to somebody that was feeling like that but wanting to do what you're doing? How, how would you say to them, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to just say, just do it. Just start living oh, your life. Oh, no, you can't just do it. But you can't you just do that. No, no, you can't. You, there are things like, and that was the beauty of that bike ride. Mm. It was like, that was a done deal. The moment I heard that, I knew I could do it. There wasn't this little monkey brain gang like, you can't do that. Why would you want to go and do that? No, 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 no. <laughs> Everyone else was telling me that everything's going to go wrong. And I didn't even get a puncture. 2,417 kilometers, I did not get a puncture. <laughs> Man. so it's when you know something follow that path and it may be just a little thing like i know i can run to the end of that street or walk to the end of that street if you're that person i mean i hear people all the time saying i hate running tell me one animal that hates running probably a sloth <laughs> but you tell me one animal that hates running you know when as soon as a kid can walk what does it want to do run run as soon as a dog gets to the park run it's a beautiful thing to do i don't think we're meant to run marathons but that's everyone's choice but to be able to run just for the joy of it is a magnificent thing. So just start with whatever it is that you love to do. You know, maybe you're a singer and you look up and find a choir and you just join a choir because you've been too scared to sing because everyone's told you it's like you don't sing properly. It's like so bloody what? 
You can learn to sing. You can learn to do every single thing. That's what I love about the Golden State Warriors, you know. They put together a team whose attitude and connection was in place. And you can learn the skill, but you find something that you love to do and you'll excel at it. But they're just like little, life is going like red light, green light. So you hit a red light, it's like, oh, that's not feeling good. I'm not going to go that way. You try something else, ah, green light, follow that path. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like the signs are there. We're just not taught about the invisible world that we live in. I get to do it a third time as a parent with my daughter. My daughter's 11 years old, almost turning 12 now. And she said to me a little while ago, dad, I want to be an actor. She loves everything film. She loves singing. She loves dancing. And you know, most little girls like that stuff, not all, but most. And she seems to have a real affinity to it, but not just in a superficial way either. She really loves the acting. She loves the characters. She loves the actors and how they fall into the characters. It's a bit of a deeper sort of understanding of it. And as a parent, it's one of those, it's at a crossroads where you go, well, do you promote that and kind of encourage them to do that? Or do you just think, uh, is that just a phase she's going through? And it felt, felt like more of a phase. So anyway, we got her into some acting lessons. We got her into some singing lessons. And now she's become quite good at it and she's used to it. And I said to her the other day that this career path or this idea that you've got, this thing that you've got is probably the hardest thing that a human being can do the amount of rejection that you're going to face, the amount of times people are going to tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not skilled enough, that you can't sing right, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too ugly, you're too old, you're too young. The amount of rejection that you're going to get for the things that you're going to do is going to be the hardest thing that you can do in your life. Do you understand that? And she just shrugged the shoulders and goes, yes, I know. I won't fit every single part. I get that. And I know that I'm going to have to work harder than everybody else to win the roles that I'm actually going for. And I'm like, all right, I'm not sure where that comes from. But anyway, (laughs) maybe something I'm doing or saying is rubbing off there. And, you know, I I want her to live a life without limitations, you know. And a couple of months back, I was overseas in an Airbnb and, and my lovely host was actually a film producer. He's a really successful guy. And I was chatting with him, you know, kind of having a bit of banter. And I told him that my daughter wants to be an actor. And he said, well, I hope you're going to fund her career. And I hope you've got deep pockets because they're, you know, it's feast or famine in the acting world. And I was like, well, that's just a perception of it. You know, that's kind of been your experience, your anecdote of it, your perception of it. And I instantly kind of just dismissed that, you know, what do I know about that industry? I'm not an actor. I'm not in show business. I don't, I don't know. And I've just kind of said to Danielle that, you know, you really, really need to understand that this is the hardest thing that you're going to do. And you know, you're getting what yourself, getting yourself into. And she's like, doesn't matter, dad, I can outwork everybody. I'll just work harder than everybody else and I'll get what I want to get. And it's really, really exciting to see a little kid with no limitations on them at all. And it's exciting to see that you kind of, as an adult, you put limitations on yourself because other people, it's what you said, oh, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. There's no... But what other people are really saying is they can't do that and they shouldn't do that. And they're putting their expectations on you. And I think as an adult, you learn to release the brakes. You learn to take the brakes off and you learn to do the things that you want to do exactly as what you're doing with your life right now. But it's really exciting to see a little kid with no brakes mm-hmm. on. And when it's your daughter, of course, it's even yeah. more personable. And I feel like it's really exciting for her. And I feel like a bit of a rookie dad. Like I've got to ring up the, <laughs> do I have to be at this place? What is this audition? What I'm asking? I'm like, man, I've got 10 years of this ahead of me. I better get my act together with this. It's kind of fun. Why do you think adults put breaks on themselves like that? We're just stuck in fear. And then that leads to give up. And then that leads to regret. 
and then we go back to fear and then give up and then regret. And a cycle? Just, yeah, a different side of the cycle. <laughs> How do you but break out do, of that cycle? At some point, you've got to draw a line in the sand. When you get unhappy enough or you're in enough pain or you're just sick of life enough, which is where I got to, and it was like, I can't do this anymore. Something just snapped. That's when I said to Chris, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the best I can be. I didn't care if he came up with me or not. Mm-hmm. But it was a bit of a shot when he said he was and then didn't. But what I see with your kids is that you allow them. Yeah. See, with, in my family, it wasn't even that they didn't want to do what I was doing. They just wanted to be the boss of me. Mm-hmm. So that was like some other thing, like just that control, like serious yeah. control stuff. So when you allow something to, it's like Abraham Hicks. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they say if you hold a cork underwater and then you just let it go, the cork bobbles to the top, mm-hmm. bounces, it flies out. So if you allow your kids, I, I just imagine watching kids and like with my son, for example, he was rum, rum, the first noise he made. So from <laughs> then on, he showed us what he was going to be. And he's yeah. now working in England in his own business, working on fast cars and, and stuff, living his dream. So when you can allow your kids to create their own path and you're just there to, you know, pick up the pieces if they fall or pay some money because they didn't have any, then it, you know, it doesn't even matter if she stops acting in five years time. So what, what has she grown? What has she learned in that five years? And then from there, she'll go onto something that she wants more than that, mm-hmm. not less than that. She's not going to drop back down and say, Oh, that was too hard. I'm going to, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that wonderful tidbits of advice there. And, and thank you so much for sharing that with the audience. Okay. You're obviously really busy traveling. You're busy setting up your business in the background. What are your daily non-negotiables that keep you motivated, keep you sharp and keep you focused? See, I'm just learning all this because I haven't done that. Mm-hmm. So I heard you ask some other questions, meditate or contemplate. Well, I can't shut my mind up either because I'm a visionary. You know, all I want is to be thinking what amazing things can happen. So I do that. So I do guided meditation so that I'm listening to something. But mm-hmm. I have to listen to positive people because I have surrounded myself my whole life with negative people. I hardly have any friends anymore. I have no wealthy friends. So when I met you, I got a taste of what happens when you're hanging around wealthy people. Mm-hmm. I like it. I don't want to hang around people who have been like me that are negative and talk about what's wrong on the planet and, and oh, ghastly. So that for me is a non-negotiable now. I was just saying with my son last night because I live in my car and travel around Australia house and pet sitting and his housemate just wanted to keep talking about negative stuff and I could feel it just like crushing in. It was like, and because it's quite new to me not to want to be part of that, I just had to get up and leave because I didn't know how to deal with it. And I thought, I don't want that life anymore. And for me, it's also writing what I want and reading. Oh, this is the other thing that I have to do every day. I read my mission statement. It's like, where am I going? Because mm-hmm. I've always talked about where I've been. And so I'm always like looking backwards. So I have got to train myself to look forward. And it's so much more exciting than the shit life I've had. (laughs) I mean, how can it take you so long to get that? But you can't get something until you get it, you know? And then you go like, wow, why was I doing that? Or, you know, when something seems hard and then when you master it, you go like, how was that ever so hard? Like driving a car, you know, like you've got so many things to do. And then it's like, now you can just drive anywhere without even knowing where you're going. So... I would echo that forward thinking view as a daily habit as well. I've lived uh, an incredible life. I think I have. I've had some unbelievable experiences. I've got an incredible family, wonderful friends. I've traveled the world and all of those things. And that was awesome. So good. I'm so proud of the things that I've done, but that's nothing compared to what's coming. 
And yeah. I don't look at the good old days behind me. I look at what's coming down the pipeline, which is way more exciting because when you start moving towards the things that excite you, you have your best day yet. Tomorrow oh, is going to be better than today. And the next day is going to be better than that. And you know, that's, is that, Oh, he's one of those positive people that does. <laughs> And it's not really like that for me. It's a matter of acknowledging where I was and where I came from and embracing that and loving that and wanting more of that, but knowing that, hey, that's over. That's gone. It's time to move forward yeah. now. And you know, you're not going to have those things anymore. And the things that you create for yourself are a life by design. It's your choice and all that. And the stuff that's coming down the pipeline for me is way more exciting, way more interesting than anything that I've ever done or experienced before. So I get really excited by that on a daily basis. And for me, that is absolutely a non-negotiable as well, the same as you. Yeah. So and it doesn't matter how bad your life's been. Honestly, it does not matter. It can be the worst things. But everything that we've gone through, once you get the realisation about it, while you're in it, you feel like you just don't want to be here anymore. But once you get past it, all of a sudden, now you get the benefit of the pain of it. And that's when it strengthens you. But when people say, oh, it makes you who you are. But when you're right in the middle of it, man, it's like who I am sucks. <laughs> so yeah, I used to hate that saying, but now it's like I know I can help people. Like, man, I certainly know when people have been through a shit life, just what, how it felt, mm-hmm. you know, because I've been there. And now all I can think of is like, oh, my God, what people are out there now that I can meet? And, you know, the creativity that's inside all of us. This is yeah. what this guy said this morning. Imagine putting Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Virgin Ah, I lost his name, putting all those minds together. Mm-hmm. Well, that mind is in here. Mm-hmm. All of that is in here. Just know that it's like that, that we're all part, we're all one. You know, we've all got that same ability. And then that belief just starts to come in because it's actually who we truly are. All the other stuff is just piled on us. Yeah, so absolutely. that never dies who we really are. It's always there. It's just waiting for a crack. <laughs> okay thank you for sharing your go all in story you've got quite a few of them there you've lived an incredible life and i'm certain that the next couple of years are going to be even more exciting for you as well thank you so much for coming on the show what's the best way for people to reach out to you and contact you okay well this is kind of almost embarrassing because of you know the version to the <laughs> that a lot of the internet-y stuff, really probably the best place would be to send me an email at katiewill, C-A-T-I-E-W-I-L-L at gmail.com because I'm in the throw, I'm working with a coach, I'm in the throes of building all the structure that I need to support the webinars. So I've got a Facebook page that's not very prolific called Mature and Motivated, which is what my business is called, Mature and Motivated. And really it's a case of just watch the space over the next six months that will all be growing Um, My webinars, they're so fun. I call them thought-provoking modules because I'm not here to give anybody advice, tell you what to do or anything. It's like, what if, you know, that's what I want to find out. What if this happened to you? What if this was, as Jim Rohn says, what if this was the day that turned your life around? Well, that's fantastic. I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes. And as your business develops and matures, this podcast will live forever. I'll go ahead and update those show notes. It'd be great to come back and revisit with you in about six to nine months and see I would love that. and hear some more <laughs> stories about it. Give you a little plug and some PR as well. I'd love to do that because it's really, really exciting and empowering what you're doing. And you know, kudos to you. Congratulations for it. Well, that's it for this interview. If you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, just open up your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button. And if you haven't left a review and you like what you hear, please leave us a review. And if you don't like it, please let us know because we always like to improve 
as well. That's a good thing too. That's it for this show. Thanks again, Kate, for coming on and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye for now.